get it. Monday, August 3rd, 2020. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. If you're not a follower of us on Instagram, we have also started to promote Born the Battle and our other podcasts within the VA Podcast Network on VA's Instagram stories. So if you follow at DEPT Vet Affairs, you'll find them and other stories from Vantage Point in the stories and in the feed. For the podcast, you'll get a link directly to the episode via either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whichever is convenient for you. Received a couple ratings, no new reviews. Remember, the reviews and subs go a long way to shooting the podcast up in the algorithms, which allows more veterans to potentially discover the information provided in both the guest interviews and in the VA news releases. I want to try a little test with you. Go ahead and unsubscribe, and then, but remember to just resubscribe real quick. I want to see what that does to the algorithms, if there's actually any any change. It's a little rumor I, ha- I heard. It's just, it, it's, it would be very interesting to know. Before we get into news releases, I wanted to give you guys uh, a heads up on a couple of blogs on blogs.va.gov that are receiving a unprecedented amount of attention. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's, they're actually shutting down our, our website, our, our, the entire blog, at certain peak hours. So I would, I would advise if you're going to look at these blogs, look at them in, in off hours, uh, there's two blogs right now. I th- they're done by a, a colleague of mine, Adam Stump, and they are Veteran Benefits 2020. They're state benefits, not not big VA, not federal VA, but these are state VA benefits. And there's a couple blogs. One, the most popular benefit in your state and the most underused benefit in your state. The, again, these are state benefits that are particular to your state. And he provides a list that go in alphabetical order. Uh, and you can look for your state and see what some of these are and where you can go and uh, look for where there's additional resources and benefits for veterans in your state. So a couple of popular blogs on blogs.va.gov. Uh, I think one's almost at a, you know, 600,000, 700,000 views, something crazy. Check them out if you, are, if you already haven't. Definitely some good info in those blogs. As for this week in the news release world, we've only got one. It says, for immediate release, VA and partner agencies announce COVID Insights Partnership. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, along with the Departments of Energy and Health and Human Services, recently announced the formation of the COVID-19 Insights Partnership, which is an initiative to coordinate and share health data, as well as research and expertise to aid in the fight against COVID-19. The COVID-19 Insights Partnership creates a framework for VA and HHS to use the Department of Energy's world-leading high-performance computing and artificial intelligence resources to conduct COVID-19 research and analyze health data that would otherwise not be possible. Research and analysis conducted by the COVID-19 Insights Partnership will focus on vaccine and therapeutic development and outcomes, virology, and other critical scientific topics to understand COVID-19 better. HHS and VA will provide additional updates and information on research projects as they become available. Summit, the United States' fastest supercomputer located at the Department of Energy's Oak Ridge National Laboratory, is accelerating COVID-19 research by running large-scale, complex analysis on a vast amount of health data. Summit will analyze massive integrated data sets, and the insights 
will help researchers identify and advance potential treatments and enhance outcomes for COVID-19 patients. For contacts to, to contact people for more information on this, for the Department of Veterans Affairs will be our press secretary, Christina Noel. That's christina.noel at va.gov. For the Department of Energy, it'll be Shaylin Hines. That's shaylin.hines at hq.doe.gov. Shaylin is spelled S-H-A-Y-L-Y-N. Hines is spelled H-Y-N-E-S. And the Department of Health and Human Services, their contact is media at hhs.gov. A quick Google search also showed me that Summit is a supercomputer that was built by ABM. And it's way more powerful than their Watson, the one on Jeopardy and everything. Uh, Definitely some interesting stuff. All right, this week's guest is an Army veteran. He worked in public affairs, who was also a former co-worker of mine in the media relations department, who left our office to take on the role of being the VFW's national communications director. So after a couple months on the job, I linked up with him to see what is up at his new gig and with the VFW in general. He is Army veteran Terrence Hayes. Enjoy. How you been, man? How's it going? How's the new gig? Uh, new gig at the VFW, man, has been great. Um, it's uh, given us, given me an opportunity to uh, truly advocate on the front lines uh, for our veterans, service members, and military families. Um, I've been able to uh, be a part of some very instrumental. Uh, legislation that has passed that uh, has affected, you know, some some key stakeholders within the veteran community. And yeah. uh, you can just see how the impact of that has on uh, has on those individuals. So uh, it's been a, it's been a blessing, man, to uh, go from the Department of Veterans Affairs, where I learned so much and to be able to take what I learned from the department and actually apply it uh, with the uh, VFW has been a godsend uh, for the organization. I think uh I think that's really when you when you look at the the effect between a regular nonprofit and a VSO is is is, is that effect that on on Capitol Hill that you can have without question. Quick, quick background: Terrence and I we worked together uh, and quickly bonded over over our shared interest in the wrestling industry. Um, you know, I you know you know that I quit watching the product, but I still keep up with it with the dirt sheets because I'm fascinated by the behind the scenes of that that yeah. industry uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I, I, you know what I think? I think it's because back in the seventies and eighties and nineties, man, wrestlers made the rock star lifestyle seem like a tea party in comparison, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but we bonded over that. Uh, and you were my strategy partner, man. And, and thinking of ways to get the WWE to recognize, uh, born the battle. Um, and, and and we work physically pretty close together, uh, in our office, uh, for the VA, I mean, you just mentioned it. You used to develop relationships with media and answer media queries. Uh, and now you're kind of on the other side of that. You're kind of the one kind of asking the questions now, right? Uh, well, same thing. Uh, it's kind of similar. Uh, I would say I'm basically the official spokesperson for the uh, organization, for the national organization. So it's uh, amazing, dude. I'm kind of doing uh, the same media type of stuff I was doing with the department but now just uh, on a different level. Yeah. So uh, it's been, like I said, it's been a blessing to be able to develop those relationships from the department, carry those relationships over to the VFW. And now it's just, uh, just different conversations now. Absolutely. Uh, you were also our emergency response coordinator. Uh, kind of shine a little bit of a light into that role because I think the IOC 
uh, is something that not many veterans know about the VA. The, the informa- it was an information operations center, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and and, and it's more vital than ever, uh, obviously, with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic that we're going through right now. I can just imagine how the uh, IOC is operating, even though it's operating probably from a, uh, a remote location. Uh, but that being said, uh, it's a vital it's a vital resource uh, for the department where, um, you know, anytime a, a, a natural disaster or a uh, medical emergency or, or just anything critical uh, to the department occurs, um, the Information uh, Operations Center op- basically uh, opens up and uh, all, all folks are on deck, you know, from the public affairs staff to the uh, the uh, the VHA to the VBA um, to the uh, HR folks, and we all work in tandem to ensure that uh, we're synced up with whatever um, operations are going on, whatever strategic messaging we're trying to send out to our publics, whether that be to the media, whether that be to our veterans, whether that be to the American public. Uh, but it's a great uh, resource to have where all folks join together and are able to uh, basically accomplish a mission and, and a common goal. I think, uh, you know, uh, the VA is much like any any other major corporation, big ship, tiny rudder, you know. So any way right. that you can knock down those those, uh, those stovepipes, as we call them, in those corporations or in those agencies, uh, it's, it's always a good thing. Without um, question. Very well. Well, your current role after the VA is a, was a great pivot to your career, man. But before we get into all that, mm-hmm. one thing that you and I never really talked about was our respective military services. We just kind of bonded yeah, in general. Yeah. Um, other than the fact that we both knew a workforce Sergeant Major Kent, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but you were in the Army. Um, when and where did you decide to join in the first place, brother? Yeah, it's a crazy story to be quite honest with you, man. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I went to a college preparatory high school uh, down in Jacksonville, Florida, where I'm from and where I'm, you know, where all my family pretty much lives. And, uh, it was, uh, at the time it was the uh, number one academic high school in the country. And, uh, so I had, I had a glide path to go to college, man. I had two, uh, band scholarships, as a matter of fact, one to Florida A&M university, the other to Bethune Cookman university. And I was going to be there oh, to wow. play, play the percussion. Um, cause I was in the band for four years. But oh, uh, you were on the drum line. I was, man. I was on the drum line. Uh, and uh, and what's crazy is that, uh, like I said, with those scholarship opportunities, my parents just knew I was on the on the glide path to go to school straight after high school. And uh, one day I just woke up and said, you know what? I want to do something different. You know, 17 year old kid um, wanted to kind of, you know, break away, move away from home because uh, those two schools were in the state of Florida. So I was like, you know what? I want to I want to go see something, something else. I want to be part of something bigger. And uh, gotcha. the crazy thing is my parents, both of my parents had served in the military and army as well. And uh, but it was prior to my birth. Uh, so I guess you could say we're, we're a military family. But uh, but yeah, one day I just called a recruiter because um, I had never seen a recruiter. I didn't know what the ASVAB was. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, they didn't have uh, they didn't allow recruiters and stuff on our high school campus. Um, but yeah. Really? Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, what's ASVAB? Is it like the SAT? You know, so I, I go ahead and uh, talk to this recruiter and he tells me about all these gigs and everything. And then uh, I finally informed my parents that uh, the recruiter was coming to the house. And, and lo and behold, uh, my mom wasn't too happy. Uh, my father was uh, like, hey, you, you got to do what you got to do for yourself. And uh, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, it all worked out. I was able to join immediately after I graduated high school 
And uh, then I went to uh, basic training in that August. And uh, and lo and behold, I was. Uh, now, did you you didn't join the band, right? No, no. Uh, the crazy thing is that, um, you know, I, I talked to my parents and everything like that. And uh, my mom ensured that uh, I, I basically uh, got the job that uh, suited me best. And uh, I was I was really good at uh, English and, and things of that nature. So I joined public affairs. And uh, but when I uh, when I got to my first duty station for Hood, Texas, and I'm in the 4th Infantry Division and I meet the 4th Infantry Division uh, band director who just happened to go to college and graduate with my high school band director. And uh, so so they they always talked. And uh, this gentleman somehow found found out uh, who I was and, and that I played. And he tried to get me to uh, change my MOS within like the first two months of me uh, really, you know, joining Army and knowing what my what my present MOS was. And uh, wow. as much as I wanted to uh, play the percussion and everything like that, um, unfortunately, I, I turned them down. And, and here, here we are today in my public affairs career, 20 plus years. So you just, you just wanted to do something different. You were just like, you know what? I'm done with that part of my life. Ready to go try a new adventure. Yeah, I wanted to travel, man. Wanted to meet new people. Uh, wanted yeah. to uh, be part of an organization that was bigger than myself. And I felt that the uh, military, the Army, was that organization. And it was going to teach me. Uh, a whole lot of life skills. And, uh, and my, my intent was never to, to serve 20 years. Um, it was to serve five years, uh, return back home and uh, go back into the uh, corporate workforce. But uh, I loved the people. I loved the mission. I loved everything about the military. And uh, I made it a lifelong career. Got you. Uh, one thing I read in your bio that I did not know about was a Bronze Star. Was that in country? Yeah, yeah, I uh, I received my bronze star um, while I was uh, in 15 months of uh, Iraq from December of 2006 to March of 2008. You stayed there for 15 months. 15 months, my friend. Um, we were initially there for uh, a 12-month deployment. However, yeah. uh, we were uh, involuntarily extended uh, due to the surge, and then that's when. Uh, the, the leadership change happened with uh, General Petraeus coming over and everything changing for the better. But, uh, yeah, we were part of that uh, surge uh, part and uh, we're, we're extended an extra three months. And, uh, and while it felt like eternity then, man, I'll tell you what, uh, time has flown by. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, it's one of the greatest things that I ever did was to be able to uh, lead an organization in a time of combat, um, ensure the safety and the well-being of all of my troops they all came back the same way that they left. And, uh, and we still talk to this day, like we're family. Absolutely. What'd you do? What would you, what was your role out there as public affairs? Well, I was part of the 28th public affairs detachment that, uh, we deployed out of uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, the eight person detachment. And, uh, we were responsible for all the, uh, the, uh, internal communications and, uh, also any, uh, any external uh, video usage uh, that the uh, the commanders needed to do, whether it was with the media, things of that nature, you know, like with divids and the satellite and things of that nature, uh, we ran point yeah. on all of those uh, communication tools. So it was a uh, it was a great 15 month deployment. We learned a lot. We executed a lot of missions. Uh, a lot of us went outside the wire to cover uh, a lot of the uh, missions that our our men and women were conducting on the ground. Uh, so yeah. it was definitely a, uh, an experience that, uh, that I would never take back. And I would do it all over again if I could. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Were you a sergeant at that point, a staff sergeant? That's it it probably what twelve year mark. Yeah, I was, mark. A, uh, I was a sergeant first class. Gotcha. And, gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I was E seven sergeant first class in the, in the army, and uh, and shortly thereafter, uh, when I came back, um, I ended up uh, going to coming to Fort Meade. That's how I ended up here in the uh, Maryland D.C. Virginia area. And uh, then I then I started teaching at the uh, schoolhouse at the uh, at the NCO Academy. Got you. I uh, I started my combat camera career in 2007. I came in in 03, but I started in 07. So it sounds like you were there around that same time. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely on Fort Meade around the time that you were there. And uh, <laughs> my combat awesome. camera c- comrades, man, those are some uh, some great individuals because obviously, as you know, um, combat camera and public affairs work hand in hand on, on various different missions. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, I say, uh, I would say that that career field, both yours and, and mine are, are some great career fields. You know, my team of soldiers, um, would do everything that they needed to do to ensure our success. And, uh, and I was just a byproduct of, uh, of, you know, their success. And I thank them each and every time that I come in contact with them because, um, I wouldn't be as successful as I am even to this present day if it wasn't for those men and women who uh, who served underneath me and those who were my superiors as well, who mentored me along the way. That's some good leadership, man. Uh, talk to me about mentors. Give me a give me a best friend or a mentor that you had in your service. Yeah, um, man, I had quite a few. Uh, but the one who uh, who really, uh, I guess, uh, made the most impact was the uh, was the one that I had in my last five years of my military career. And it happened mm-hmm. to be a United States Marine. Raw. And I had never I had never worked for a Marine. Um, I had never, uh, you know, really come in contact with too many Marines because of uh, obviously my service being the United States Army. But uh, Sergeant Major Brian Battaglia, he was the second ever senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And uh, I was graciously awarded the uh, title of public affairs advisor for him. And uh, yeah. And we just happened to meet at the right time. And uh, we were able to do some amazing things for uh, the chairman at the time, which was uh, General Dempsey. And uh, and man, I, I could tell you that I learned so much from that from that guy, not just from a military leadership standpoint, but also from a you know man, a husband, um, a son standpoint as well. Um, he taught me a lot about, you know, selflessness, you know putting the needs of others first in all things. Um, That's how the mission gets accomplished. Because if you take care of your people, if you show them that you care, they will get the job done and they'll go above and beyond. And you won't even have to like tell them what to do. And uh, he was able to uh, instill all of those qualities in me. And uh, to this day, I talk to him at least once a week. And uh, even after his retirement of uh, 30, 37 years in the uh, United States Marine Corps, we still chit chat and everything <laughs> like that. But uh, he also taught me how to play golf, too, man. So uh, I had never touched a <laughs> golf club in my life. And uh, let me tell you what, man, when, when I first started out, I was crap. And uh, <laughs> and today I'm, I'm just above crap. <laughs> but uh, but no, he uh, he definitely uh, introduced me to a lot of different things, a lot of different people. Uh, who are still uh, significant in my uh, professional and personal career. And uh, I definitely thank him for everything he's done for me and my family. That's awesome to hear. Good, good shout out to the Sergeant Major there. Um, now, you served a full 20. Why did you decide to get out at 20 and say not 30? 
Yeah, interesting story, brother. Um, let me let me uh let me kind of explain it because it's a uh it's a I would say it's a unique story. Um, it's a story that uh, I won't say I have regret sometimes, but I I do tend to look back and and say what if. But uh, sure. But yeah, at the uh, 18 year mark, um, my uh, my wife unfortunately had uh, had received a diagnosis of uh, of ovarian cancer. So oh we gosh. were so we were here in the area, and uh, so she had started receiving treatments from Johns Hopkins, and uh, Johns Hopkins is one of the top uh, cancer treatment facilities in the country, and uh, so it was amazing to see them. Uh, do their work and things like that. So uh, once that occurred, um, a lot of things in my life kind of changed. And uh, now here's the funny part is that, uh, you know, throughout the whole process, um, come to find out once she had eventually had the surgery, um, somehow, some way, uh, the docs could not find the cancer. Now, all the biopsies before and everything like that um, showed that she had cancer. Um, all the test results showed that she had cancer. But uh, once again, uh, when it came time to uh, day of surgery and she and I and her family are there, um, they do the surgery and everything. And they come out to get us and, and tell us that, it, you know, it was just amazing that there was nothing there. But uh, that was during that time frame, that last two years of my career, where I kind of had to uh, make some decisions about, you know, do I start to, uh, you know, make my family the number one priority in my life? Or do I continue to ride this uh, military wave? And uh, yeah. so I had to make some hard decisions, man. And uh, one of the hardest decisions I made was that uh, I was uh, actually selected to become a sergeant major. And uh, I made the list. I was selected, was going to go to school and everything like that. And I had to decline it. And uh, and there's times where I look back and I and there's times that I look back and I say to myself, man, um, you know, what would have happened had I done it? Because it was always a goal of mine to obviously attain the highest enlisted rank in the in the United States Army. And uh, it, I just always wanted it. And, and people expected that of me uh, within the Army as well. So when I declined it, uh, man, it was a it was like a whirlwind. Um, Sergeant Major Battaglia at the time, who I talked about earlier, uh, was shocked. Um, he, he was trying to convince me to. Uh, to kind of uh, rethink my decision. Then he he had me go see the Sergeant Major of the Army. Sergeant Major <laughs> Army sat down with me and said, hey, what can we do to keep you in our ranks? And I swear, man, it went back and forth for like two, three months. And that's, uh, that's some pressure right there. Yeah, it is. It is. The Sergeant Major of the Joint Staff and like the Sergeant Major of the Army. You it know? is. It is. And then you, then you have your own personal like, you know, weights on you. Like, man, you know what? I, I want to do this. I want to do it. And then, yeah. uh, but once again, uh, at some point, um, we have to understand, uh, what's the number one priorities in our life. And, uh, like I said, with my, uh, my wife going through that, that illness at the time and, and being able to recover fully, um, I decided that, you know, what, 20 years was, was my time. And, uh, yeah. and I had a, I had an outstanding and, and successful career and learned a lot. And fortunately, was able to network with uh, quite a few folks along the way. So I, I felt like uh, transition, um, while it would be uh, unclear to me, while it would be new to me, foreign, um, I felt that I had a good chance to at least transition successfully. And uh, yeah. so we decided to stay in the Maryland area 
And uh, lo and behold, I was able to uh, basically return back to the Pentagon after I retired and I uh, did public affairs for headquarters department and army and then found my way to the Department of Veterans Affairs working for uh, my former boss who I served in Iraq with, um, James Hutton. Oh, wow. I didn't know. I didn't know you guys served together. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, James Hutton was uh, was my commander there. And uh, and Kirk Cashier was there with us as well. Got you. Got you. Um, did not. I didn't know that part of part of mm-hmm. your guys' history there. Got you. Um, you know, I think everybody kind of knows when when it's time to go. You yeah. know, and I've talked a, a lot with a with many guests about uh, you know, hats off to the people that did twenty with a full family, and you right, did that, right. man. And, right. and and my hats off to you. And you know, I think whether you do four years or whether you do twenty years or thirty years, at some point you do have to take the uniform off without question. And, and and you got to think about that, and you got to think about what life is going to be like afterwards. And um, everyone knows when 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 the timing's right. Exactly. You, you know, I, I kind of relay it to uh, to football. You know how, uh, you know, you have these these athletes, man, who uh, who play a sport for several years. And uh, at some point they're going to have to say goodbye to the sport. Right. And yeah. uh, but how do you want to say goodbye to it? Do you want to do you want to be carried off the field because you stayed a little too long? Or do you want to go out when you feel like you've you know, you peaked or you're you're at your best? And uh, yeah. one thing I didn't want to do was have the military push me out and because <laughs> I had extended my stay or, you know, I wasn't the same as I was, you know, when I when I had that energy and that, you know, I was giving my 100 percent. So I, I'd rather leave uh, a year or two too early than to stay a year or two too late. Sure. Sure. No, I I, I can identify with that completely, too. Um you know, I, I, I think I've shared on this, this podcast before. I, did, I, I had a couple of medical things going on with me, but, you know, I was going to k- still kick it around. And then um, I, I looked at one day I was I was mentoring, I think, a corporal or a last corporal. And, and you know, I, I still knew what I was talking about, even though at that point I was a staff sergeant. They took the editor from me. They took the camera from me. I was in a management position. I still knew what, I, what the heck I was talking about. And I just kind of had this epiphany that. I didn't want to be the, I didn't want to be the guy that didn't know what he was talking about at some point, you know, right, right, right. <laughs> go out. I didn't want the Lance Corporal or the, or the, or the corporal look at me like, yo, he, you don't even know what you're talking about, you know? <laughs> right. and, and I think we've all had those leaders. So I, I, uh, like I said, I think everybody knows when it's time to go. Yeah. And then uh, also another uh, thing that I always thought about is uh, I always did want to enter the corporate workforce, man. But I always told myself, you know what? Um, I don't want to enter it too late. And, uh, you know, I was able to retire, fortunately, at the age of 37, where I was still somewhat marketable in the uh, in the in the corporate world. You know, I didn't want to get out in my 50s, not saying I couldn't have been successful or anything like that. But uh, when you're competing against a younger workforce, um, (laughs) that's definitely something you got to consider. Yeah, it's a little little different world, and especially if you haven't been in that world and you're leaving uh, one world that's the military and you're kind of going into this unknown world. Uh, competition is a beast. So uh, you got to know when the timing is right. And I felt that the timing was right at that moment. Absolutely. So now you're the director of communications and public affairs for the entire VFW. So talk about a, 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 a right time. Um, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what, what is that? What's the full role entail, man? Yes. Um, 
Man, it's a it's a it's a lot going on uh, in my world when it comes to uh, communications and public affairs at the Veterans of Foreign Wars. Um, give you an example. Uh, you know, every every piece of legislation um, that we uh, that we push for through Congress, um, my hand somehow touches uh, from a strategic communication standpoint. Uh, every time we have an issue, um, you know, whether it's with uh, with uh, veterans or service members benefits or it could be, uh, you know, health issues or or something with uh, going on at their local base or something like that. Um, some of those issues come across my get my desk because uh, it may have a national type of flavor to it. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, man, anything that uh, that the Veterans of Foreign Wars does has some sort of strategic communication uh, messaging behind it. So, you know, I tend to uh, touch it. And uh, it's been it's been a blast uh, since I've been there. I, I got there in October, mid-October of uh, last year. And uh, it's been a learning experience without question to understand the dynamics of the organization, the history of the organization. It's the uh, oldest veteran service organization that we have, uh, founded in 1899 and uh, yeah. still going strong today. And uh, just to know that uh, Congress, the White House, other other departments of the uh, federal agency or the, uh, the federal government um, really understand who and what we do is a blessing. So uh, when the VFW speaks, a lot of people tend to listen. So uh, that's what I that's what I'm happy about, that we actually do some some true advocacy on behalf of veteran service members and military families. I think that's one thing that I think, you know, our older generations had the VSOs. You know, they they didn't have all these other nonprofits that we currently have now. I mean, I think right. we're at something 40, 50,000 nonprofits. But I think that's the difference between like our legacy ones is, is you know, the VFW, American Legion, right. AMVETS, uh, and, and these other nonprofits is that the, the impact that you guys can have on certain influencers. Is that accurate? No, that's, that's totally accurate. I mean, uh, weekly we all meet, uh, whether that's the DAV. Whether that's the American Legion, whether that's AMVETS, um, we all touch base, man, to ensure that uh, we know what's going on in our worlds. And if there's something that we can, uh, you know, I guess uh, piggyback on to to uh, do, hey, that's what we do because that's what we're here for, to, to take care of veterans. Absolutely. Have you guys thought about starting a podcast yet? Do you guys have a podcast? So we don't have a podcast, but yeah, we started, we thought about started starting a podcast uh, and then unfortunately... Uh, this pandemic took place. <laughs> we feel, actually, hey, 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 yeah. if there's one thing that you can do in a pandemic, <laughs> it's a podcast. Oh, no, no, without question. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt about it. Because we, we were going to do a lot of things. Um, Actually, we were going to uh, set up a media studio at the uh, at the Washington office at the Veterans of Foreign Wars because we want to capture every time, you know, uh, key leadership comes through and visits us, whether that's the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, uh, Robert Wilkie, who comes and visits us uh, quite often, whether that's Undersecretary Paul Lawrence, who comes over and talks to us about uh, veteran benefits and things of that nature, and whether it's our congressional leaders. We want to capture them on camera. We want to be able to send that out to our members and to uh, fellow veterans to understand, better understand uh, what's going on in their world and probably answer a lot of questions that these individuals may have. Can't wait to see it, man. Can't wait to see it. Looking forward to it. Let me know if you need any help. Oh, without question. I, I'll definitely reach out to you. Uh, right? I, I got, I got, you know me, I always got ideas. <laughs> um, hey, l real quick, leaving government service to go into the private or nonprofit sector. Yeah. What are, 
what are I mean, you did that. You 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 know, people think about the government service as kind of a you know a comfort space. What are some things, either tangible or intangible, that one needs to consider when making that type of career pivot? Yeah, as with anything, there's pluses and minuses. And I will say that uh, leaving the uh, federal government was uh, was definitely a a hard decision. Uh, it wasn't one that I didn't you know take I didn't take it lightly. You know, I had to weigh everything involved. Um, but one thing that uh, I will say is this: is that uh, you have to do what works best for you. And uh, and there is opportunities. There's a wealth of opportunities within the federal government to thrive and to uh, to, you know, make it to, you know, whatever the heights of your career path may be. Um, but there's going to be some opportunities sometimes outside of the federal government that folks need to really pay attention to and uh, and don't get so um, caught up in, in the uh, well, you know, I've been in this world for so long. I don't want to uh, try something new. Because you may just miss that opportunity that you've been trying to seek uh, your entire career. And this was just one of those opportunities where uh, it came about that this position opened up. And trust me, initially, I was thinking about declining because, once again, I was kind of happy uh, with the organization I was with. Uh, we had a great team. Um, yeah. I, I loved the mission that we had at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And uh, I, I just enjoyed what I did. Uh, but this was an opportunity uh, that I wasn't uh, I didn't know what lied ahead. You know, I didn't know much about the overall organization. I knew about the VFW, but I didn't know about the, uh, you know, the employment part of it. I didn't know, you know, how their structure was or anything like that. So what 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 a friend always told me is that, hey, you never turn down an opportunity. And what I mean is that it was an opportunity to go interview. And as you know, an interview goes both ways. Um, yep. I was able to answer all of their questions to see if I was a right fit for them. But on the flip side, I was able to ask my questions to them to ensure that they were the right fit for me. And once that was done, uh, I felt that it was a it was a great opportunity for me to do some unique things. Uh, we're trying to do some uh, amazing things at the Veterans of Foreign Wars. And we're trying to uh, really make a push for more younger and more diverse veterans, uh, more post 9-11 veterans. And I want to be a part of that push to ensure that, you know, our younger veterans, you know, the veterans in our age group understand the importance behind veteran service organizations like the VFW, because if we do not back those organizations, who will fight for us on Capitol Hill uh, when we need to have a voice? So if yeah. folks aren't a part of that, um, you know, unfortunately, those organizations will tend to dwindle away. And then the lawmakers will be making decisions on our behalf without our, you know, institutional knowledge or without our input. So uh, it was an opportunity for me to actually go there and put my stamp on certain things at the VFW to put my input there. And also the team there is is amazing. And uh, that was the thing that, that really uh, triggered it for me um, because, you know, money comes and goes, but at the end of the day, it has to be a correct fit for you. And uh, and I didn't want to box myself in by just going the uh, federal government route. So, yeah, it was yeah. definitely a hard decision, but uh, it was one that was uh, well worth it. I was going to ask you about uh, – you, you kind of touched on it, but um... – you know, if you're a veteran, you know the VFW. You talk, we talk about, we've already talked about it. It's, uh, it's established. It's it's legacy. It's entrenched. 
Um, it's something that I think a, a lot of nonprofits have, you know, it takes years to get to where the VFW is in, ter- in terms of uh, influence and, in- and impact. Um, but what are some things that, that, that the VFW, about the VFW that veterans maybe don't know about? What, what programs you guys got going, efforts, initiatives? Uh, give me something that you've learned since starting your, re- your relatively new gig. Definitely. Uh, I did not know that over the last 60 years, every major piece of legislation that has passed, the VFW has been the lead on. I did not know that uh, we had programs like the Unmet Needs Program that are similar to like some of the DOD programs like, you know, Army Emergency Relief or Marine Corps Relief Fund, uh, where veterans or military spouses or service members could apply for and receive financial assistance for hardships. Um, I didn't know you could do that outside of the military, but we have that capacity to do that. I did not know that we have. That's that's important to know right now. Yeah, without question. Oh, especially within this pandemic, we have had uh, who hundreds of folks contact us for the unmet needs program to take advantage of the program because of uh, veterans becoming unemployed or or service members currently actively serving, uh, being geographically separated from their loved ones because of the uh, no travel restrictions. Um, and now they're living in two separate locations and they can't fund uh, each side. So we've been able to uh, provide assistance on that. I did not know that folks could contact the VFW uh, for uh, educational scholarships and not just not just one time. You can contact them every single semester and and be awarded the scholarship multiple times to get yourself through school. Did not know that we have that program as well. Um, But, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that uh, the VFW did so much on the ground uh, for veterans, service members and, and military families uh, until I actually got there and learned about the wealth of programs that come along with uh, with the organization. And uh, man, it's, it's definitely a great thing that we do. And I, I, I asked, uh, even if you're not a member of the VFW, and this isn't about soliciting or anything like that, because that's not what this is about. That's not what we stand for. Um, you know, if you want to join us, please do. If you don't no problem, but please come to us if you need assistance, because that's what we're here for. We're here to take care of veterans, service members and military families. Outstanding. Sounds like a lot of information being passed around in them, them, them posts there. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. And that's the other thing, you know, when it comes to the VFW, uh, the misconception is that a lot of times, uh, when you think VFW, you think, Oh, that local post where the where where guy majority guys go to this post to go drink and talk about war stories. That's that's ten percent of the story. You know, that's ten yeah. percent of who we are. Yes, those uh those VFW posts exist for camaraderie. Yes, people can go there to you know have a drink or have some food or do some karaoke. No doubt about it. But those, cheap beer too. Without question, troops taking care of troops. You know, veterans taking care of veterans. But at the same time. That that post is a pillar in its community to give back, to volunteer within the community, to award educational scholarships to middle school and high school students, which we do annually. Um, There's other opportunities for us to engage with the local military facilities to volunteer our times with those units. Um, We have several of our uh, VFW post members who are inside the VA medical facilities and volunteering their time as well there 
to help yep. fellow veterans. So, uh, yeah, it's just a misconception sometimes when you when you talk about the VFW, you just see the post or you see the uh, the old man wearing a hat or whatever the case may be. And and you start, you know, thinking one way. But, uh, you know, we're way bigger than that. It represents more than that, you know, uh, and I, I, I really didn't know until I went. I mean, I was still in the Marine Corps and I went to the local post near Jacksonville and because they had a uh, Texas Hold'em. So you walk in the Texas yeah. Hold'em, you get your two dollar beer mm-hmm. and you play poker. And then and then through that, through that camaraderie, you learn about so much, so many of these other things that the BFW is doing. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. I think people just need to actually just hey, step in and, and check it out. Yeah, um, and that's the hardest part. You know, the hardest part is uh is stepping in. And sometimes the hard part is uh the folks there to uh to welcome you know the younger folks. And and that's true. Like I said, that's the challenge for us is to be more accommodating to our younger veterans and our younger veterans, you know, feeling like they, they can be part of this team. You got to bridge that gap. Very good. Um, other than the VFW, is there a veteran nonprofit or individual who you've worked with or you've had experience with whom you'd like to mention? Yeah. Uh, I can tell you right now that uh, wounded warrior project are, uh, are probably uh, one of our biggest um, supporters. Um, they, they actually, uh, uh, give monies to uh, several of our programs that we have, uh, because as you know, the Wounded Warrior Project is probably the biggest uh, uh, nonprofit when it comes to uh, the veteran community, uh, you know, as far as bringing in dollars and things of that nature and giving back. Uh, so they definitely are a great um, outlet for our wounded uh, service members. And I would say that, uh, you know, we work hand in hand on as much as we can do. Uh, for our individuals who are wounded and uh yeah the wounded warrior project definitely has our our full respects and uh, we work hand in hand as a team awesome terrence man it's been great catching up uh you know i miss you every day at the office yeah uh, man, when, we, when, we, when we were able when we were able to go in the office um <laughs> Hopefully this, uh, we can get to the office soon, man, because I definitely would love to uh, uh, reconnect with you guys. Obviously, I come over there Absolutely. at least once a month for our VSO communicators meeting. And yeah. uh, and that's an outstanding uh, opportunity to uh, meet with uh, several of the uh, key leadership within the VA to discuss uh, what's going on in the department. And we're able to uh, pass those messages down to uh, to our stakeholders. So I'm looking forward to getting back to some sort of normalcy to where I can uh, get back over to the department and uh, be able to uh, mingle and uh, discuss various things with, uh, with some of my uh, friends and colleagues. Like wrestling, man. We got to get back to wrestling. Next year's WrestleMania. We got to go. We got to do it. Hey, all Um, hands on deck. (laughs) (laughs) T is there, T is there anything else that I missed that you think is important to share to the listeners? Uh, one thing I do want to share is that, uh, you know, the Veterans of Foreign Wars and, and myself personally want to thank uh, all of the medical professionals, um, all of the medical staff, yes. all of the volunteers uh, who are working now and, and even before this uh, COVID-19 pandemic at our Veterans Affairs uh, medical facilities. Uh, it's vital that uh, that they understand their value and what they bring to the table. And sometimes it's a thankless job and and we apologize that it's that way. But more than ever than before, we, you know, we need those individuals. We rely on those individuals and without those individuals, we wouldn't be able to care for our veterans, our service members, our military families, uh, the way we're doing uh, through this pandemic. And also our fellow Americans, obviously, because the, the VA has taken on a fourth mission. 
So we personally want to thank all of those individuals who are com coming in contact with our veterans and, uh, and our other American uh, citizens during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic to ensure their, their health, safety, and well-being is paramount. I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Really, really miss that dude. I want to thank Terrence for taking the time to link up with us. For more information on Terrence or how to reach him, go to vfw.org, navigate to media and events, click on media room, and finally click on media contacts. This week's Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week is courtesy of our Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our VA social media team highlights a veteran on all of our social media platforms and on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate a veteran yourself by emailing newmedia at va.gov. As a native of South Central Los Angeles, Tanya T. Healing recalled wanting to join the military because her family could not afford to send her to college. Healing's mother was the one who arranged phone calls with a recruiter for the Marine Corps, and this led her to serving 20 years of active duty for her country as a legal service specialist from 1987 to 2007. Her tours and deployments include Operation Desert Storm, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and Operation Enduring Freedom. Throughout her service, Hewling received numerous awards, including a Meritorious Service Medal, Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal, Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal, Marine Corps Good Conduct Medal, and a Military Outstanding Volunteer Service Medal. Healing has since earned five college degrees, including a third master's degree in higher education from the Dallas Baptist University. She currently lives in Red Oak, Texas, with her husband, two sons, and a daughter. She is a Veterans Employer Liaison with the Texas Veterans Commission, an organization committed to finding meaningful employment opportunities for the men and women who served in the armed forces. Healing continues to demonstrate drive and determination on a daily basis through her work with the organization. Tanya Hulin, thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any pod-catching app, not a phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veteran and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you will always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.